Okay, I want you to keep that song in mind as we go through this sermon, okay? Keep that song in mind as we go through this sermon, that, that, that attitude, that, that passion for God, the reason that we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to keep that attitude in mind. We're going through a series called Stand. Does it really matter what you believe? And the answer to that question is obviously to us, yes, it matters. And we need to take a stand for what we believe. We've been going through this series. It's an apologetic series, really defending the faith. And this morning will be no different. I want to read you a couple of scriptures to start out. In Psalm 25, 5, it says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. In Psalm 43, 3, it says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. In talking to many of you over the past few weeks, this question of truth and really question of truth and judgment keep coming up. The idea that if a Christian holds on to their truth, maybe they're they're judging other people. The idea that if, if you disagree with someone's their, their thoughts or their, their choices, or you hold to biblical truth, what you were just singing about, if you hold to that biblical truth, that you are judging other people. Just by the fact that you're holding to biblical truth, you're judging other people. The argument goes something like this, and this is an exact quote from a friend. It's okay for you to have your own truth. Let that sink in. It's okay for you to have your own truth as long as. So I'm allowed to hold my own truth as long as it doesn't deny someone else's understanding of truth or cause me to judge them. And in in the world's definition of judging, it means you disagree with someone else and what they're doing and what they're saying and how they're behaving or whatever else. So it's okay for me to have my own version of truth as long as it doesn't interfere or deny someone else's understanding of truth, or cause me to judge them. And again, the idea of judgment here is that you would basically disagree and say that you disagree, that you'd verbalize that you disagree with anything that's going on. So here are a few thoughts, okay, in that. And you might want to run, write some of these thoughts down because they're simple and concise and you could remember them if you just, you know, put them to, to memory once you write them down. First, The law of non-contradiction says a truth opposite cannot also be true. So if you're saying my truth, my opinion is one thing, but if you're saying my truth, a truth opposite cannot also be true. A truth opposite is by definition what? False. So if something's true, the opposite of truth is it's false. I cannot be here standing on the stage and be in California right now at the exact same time. If I'm here, I'm here. It's true that I'm here. Someone else could say, well, I, I believe that it's true that you're someplace else. Well, that's false because a truth opposite cannot also be true. All right. So a truth opposite cannot also be true. Another thing here. Truth is not a feelings question. It's not a win win opportunity. I know in our, in our culture that we just want everyone. It's, it's a win win opportunity. Your truth is your truth because you believe it. My truth is my truth because I believe it. But in reality, truth is not a win-win opportunity. It's not a feelings question. You can be sincere about your position, and you can be sincerely wrong. It's okay. 
I, I hold to certain things, not biblical things, but I hold to certain thoughts and ideas in my head, I'm sure, and I'm sincere about them, and I'm sincerely wrong. I've been in arguments with people in my family before, and I was sincere in the fact that I truly believe with all of my heart the other person is completely wrong. And I was sincerely wrong once it was pointed out by my wife. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you, you can be sincere about what you believe or your thoughts, whatever, and you can be sincerely wrong. See, in the search for truth, two people should not end up in two different places. If you're searching for truth, you should end up in the same place because truth is truth. Opinions, okay, you end up in two different places. Perspectives, two different places. Whatever. But when it comes to truth, a truth opposite cannot also be true. Now, all that said, the real issue here, here's the real issue. Here's what they're really bringing up. It's the idea that my truth leads me to judge other people. That I'm judgmental because I have a biblical worldview that automatically assumes the narrative is that since I have a biblical worldview, I go around judging other people. And of course we know how terrible and horrible it is in the world today to have any opinion outside of what anybody else has in the world and do whatever they choose and want to do. And they love to pull out scripture. People love, I find this really fascinating. People who probably don't sometimes own a Bible or could care less about God or the Bible will pull out scripture sometimes and one of their favorite verses, okay, they pull out, they don't know where it's found, but it's one of their favorite verses is, judge not lest ye be judged, right? You hear that? At the moment you open your mouth, they, oh, they just say, well, judge not lest ye be judged. And, that, and that's supposed to end the conversation because understand something as I, as I lay this out. This is all about intimidation, That's what it's all about, to get you to conform because they'll intimidate you. They'll intimidate you in the classroom, ridicule you, belittle you in the classroom. They'll belittle you in the office. They'll belittle you, whatever, whether, wherever it is, the idea here is intimidation. And so when you start to say something, if someone says, well, judge not lest ye be judged, that's basically taking Matthew chapter seven and verse one um, out of context, it's out of context. It's misquoted and it's out of context. I mean, the passage actually, okay, it's, it's actually condemning hypocrisy, not judgment. It's talking about hypocrisy, not, it doesn't make any sense. If you really took two seconds to think about it, the idea that you're never to judge anything makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense. Jesus' counsel here is to tend to your own issues, tend to your own, your own attitudes, your own behaviors, before you start worrying about someone else's. In other words, take the log out of your own eye before you start worrying about the speck in someone else's eye. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't hold everyone else to a standard that you yourself are not living out. Try to be conformed to my image first and foremost. He's focusing more. Matthew chapter 7 and and verse 1 is never, it is not forbidding judgment at all. It's not forbidding that. What it's saying, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you know what? Judgment starts at home. It starts here first. Remember, self-reflection. One of the greatest gifts I say that God can give people is a gift of self-reflection. To look at yourself first. To deal with yourself first, to deal with your own attitude first and your own behavior first. But in no way, in absolutely no way is Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 saying that you can never judge. That makes no sense. Even the person saying it, if they took two seconds to think about it, would realize that. That that's impossible. 
to live on this earth without making judgments on different things. See, here's the deal. I may disagree. I may totally disagree with your view of truth or your perspective, whatever else. That doesn't mean I'm going to condemn you for it. I can, I can make judgments on things without becoming someone's judge. I know who the ultimate judge is. Judge is God. But I can make judgments on certain things without becoming someone's judge. I, 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 always, I wonder this. I wonder, I really wonder, if I don't answer that question in a way that's acceptable to the questioner, if I don't answer the question about judgment in a way that's acceptable to the questioner, are they going to judge me? Hmm. It's one of those, hmm. Remember I was in your hall, you used to go, hmm. Yeah. I wonder if I'm going to be judged if I don't answer the question in a way that's acceptable to the person asking me the question. Are they going to judge me for it if I disagree, if I end up coming to a, a different conclusion than they're coming to? Am I going to be judged for that? The answer is profoundly yes. See, I can make judgments based upon my beliefs. I can make judgments based upon the word of God. The Bible says in, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, okay? If you murder someone, I'm going to say that was wrong. That behavior, that action was wrong. I'm making a judgment. There's nothing wrong with, with having a worldview and laying out absolutes and then saying, well, that behavior is, that's, that's not right. To treat that person that way, to use that language on that child in that, in that situation is not correct. That's wrong. There's nothing, there's, there's, there's no, there's nothing against the Bible in pointing things out that are wrong. And we need to understand that, not be intimidated when someone just says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Because it's taken out of context and doesn't make any, it doesn't really make any sense. See, I can, I can totally disagree with someone else's perspective and I can still, I can still be tolerant of that person. I can still show tolerance to people that I totally disagree with. Not only that, but I love them. I can still love someone who I totally disagree with. I can, still, I can point something out in someone's life that's not correct, that's wrong, and still love that person and still be tolerant of that person. That, that is, we are capable of, as human beings of doing that. See, the skeptics talk about Christians as the only ones who ever judge people wrongly or use judgment in the wrong way. And it can be used in the wrong way by Christians and by others. But they act like Christians are the only ones who do this. And that's not true. I'm not saying that Christians never do it. Obviously, Jesus brought it up and said, hey, this is not the proper way to do this. But Christians aren't the only ones to do it. And this is the, this is the narrative that we get. The idea that, that, every, that, that the rest of the world is completely tolerant and loving. That, you know, what we are, here's, here's the narrative. That if you, if you have a biblical worldview, just by definition, you're intolerant. You're judgmental. And my favorite now is you're a hater. You're a hater. If you don't agree with me, you are a hater. And, and so you get this, and that's the whole, again, it's all about intimidation. Who wants to be a hater? Raise your hand if you want to be a hater. No, you may want to one person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you, no one wants to be a hater. No one wants to be said that they're intolerant or they're judgmental. And, but that's the narrative. And so what they're trying to do is intimidate you to not speak out, to keep your views to yourself, to, to, to your religion becomes, re- I mean, really personal. 
really, really personal. You don't talk to anyone else about it. Keep it to yourself. Because you can have your truth as long as it doesn't interfere with someone else's understanding of truth that cause you to be a judge. You can have it. It's okay because we are, of course, we're the most tolerant people in the world. So you can keep having your position as long as it doesn't affect anyone else's position. If it does, you can't have it anymore because you'll be a judgmental, intolerant hater. So I'm going to spend the rest of the sermon, instead of being on the defensive, because that's what you usually do in apologetics, sometimes you're on the defensive, answering questions, answering questions, answering questions. You know, it's funny, if, if you're a Christian, you don't, you don't know the questions of the universe, somehow you're wrong. But a lot of times you don't turn it around and start asking other people questions. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this idea of, of being an intolerant, judgment, judgmental hater, okay? And, and the idea that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, that's, that's our worldview. That's the way we live. That's what the Bible teaches us. And those on the other side are not that way at all. They're not that way at all. Intolerant or judgment. That would never, never be. So I want to read a few things. I, uh, have you guys ever, ever read Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris or Nietzsche or, or Bertrand Russell. Wow. You, you want to talk about judging, okay? In his book, Letters to a Christian Nation, Sam Harris says this. The truth is, now listen to the words that are being used here, okay? I don't believe in God, but there's absolute truth, and I have it. The truth is that many who claim to be transformed by Christ's love and are, are deeply and even murderously intolerant of criticism. While we may want to ascribe this to human nature... We're not going to. It is clear. So it's true and it's clear. All right. True and clear that such hatred draws considerable support from the Bible. So is Harris being tolerant of those he's judging right here? Because not only is he judging all of you, he's judging God. Because this is God's word, right? He assumes that we believe this is God's word. So what he's saying is not only you are a judgmental, intolerant hater, but so is God. Because that's where it comes from. It is clear that such hatred draws considerable support from the Bible. Gee, I don't, it doesn't make me feel very good that my God is a hater and intolerant. So am I. Um, goodness gracious. So... You know, of course, the, but um, those words are, I guess, in some way, if you move it around, nice words for, for him to say. Christopher Hitchens, okay, writes of Mother Teresa. Let's get this down, okay? Christopher Hitchens writes of Mother Teresa. She spent her life opposing the only known cure for poverty, which is the empowerment of women and the emancipation of, those, of, of them from livestock version of compulsory reproduction. Christopher Hitchens is judging Mother Teresa. Help me with this. He's judging Mother Teresa. I, I, I read that and I was astounded. Okay, So what I did was, being a, a, a you know, 21st century person, I, I googled Christopher Hitchens and, and women empowering women, waiting to see this list of all the things that he's doing for women. You know what I found? Bupkis, zip, nada, nothing. And then I looked up Christopher Hitchens and child and, and, and orphan care. Because I thought, well, maybe he is doing some other things, like his mother Teresa. Of course, if you can attack Mother Teresa, you better have something to back it up. But he goes on and attacks Mother Teresa. And I looked up orphan care and Christopher Hitchens. And what I found? I found article. At, you look it up. See if I'm making this up. Article after article after article of him judging Mother Teresa for what she did with orphan care and women. He spent all this time, all the articles, judging, 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 judging. Mother Teresa, 
for what she did. Okay, Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous atheists of, of our time, said this. It is immoral, okay? If you use the word immoral, you're not judging someone. I don't care what I say next. It is immoral for Chuck to come to church in smelly shoes and make me have to sit next to him, okay? It doesn't matter what I say after it's immoral, okay? But he says it's immoral. So first off, he's judging whatever he's going to say next. It's immoral. What's, what's immoral, okay, Richard? Richard, it's immoral to allow unborn babies with Down syndrome to live. That is immoral. He said that parents have an ethical responsibility, an ethical responsibility to abort it and try again. Hmm. Can you, can you imagine if you said that? Can you imagine if you said anything that inflammatory? If any Christian leader would say something like that, what would happen in the media? See, this whole judgmental argument thing just drives me a little nuts sometimes. Christians are attacked and they're ridiculed and they're belittled and they're persecuted in our culture and they're killed in others. 171,000 Christians are martyred each year. But you don't hear much about it from, from, from really anyone, certainly not these folks who are, who are bastions of, of tolerance and love and compassion and everything else you can throw out. 171,000 Christians are martyred every single year. and Most people don't even care. Here's my point. Isn't killing people for their, for their worldview um, uh, judgmental? Isn't killing someone for their views intolerant? Isn't killing someone for their views hateful? If I, if, if I didn't agree with you and I killed you, I would think that you would say, well, yeah, that is judgmental, intolerant, and hateful. I'm not looking for, simple, I'm not looking for sympathy here, only an honest discussion of the facts. That's all I'm looking for, because this is what's happening. You're being intimidated because you're a judgmental, intolerant hater. So if you open your mouth and they just keep pushing that view and pushing that view and we just keep stepping back and back and go into the corner and go into the corner because, you know, somehow we honestly, we get told so many times, we start believing it's true. We start believing it's true, but it's really, it's funny that the world accepts every other worldview except the biblical worldview. Think about that. Every other worldview is made, you make excuses. Whatever happens around the world now, the people who do it, well, we don't think it's right, but they make excuses for why people are being beheaded and why this and that and the other thing. And they usually blame. Who do they blame? At the end of the day, who do they blame? Comes back to something that we must have done. Here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing about a biblical worldview. I may disagree with you, okay? I may totally disagree with you. And I totally disagree with those who are opposed to God, but I am still commanded by God to love those people. I'm commanded by God to respond to those attacks in love. And we always should. We always should. That's what Christ has called us to do, to respond in love. And I believe Christians do respond in love. My worldview tells me, even though I totally disagree with your choices and your behavior and your thoughts and everything else, that I am to love you, I am to defend you, and if given the opportunity to lay down my life for you. I may totally, totally disagree with you, but the Bible says that I am to love my enemies and to do good to those who choose to harm me and say evil against me. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 36, it says, But I tell you, 
who hear me. Love, listen to all these words. Love your enemies. This is our worldview. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. That is a biblical worldview. Doesn't sound judgmental. And if lived out, by most of you it's lived out. It's not judgmental. It is not intolerant. Okay? And it is certainly, certainly not hateful. Don't accept that narrative. It's not true. Don't be intimidated to speak up and speak the truth because people are speaking lies about your worldview. It is not true. It is not true. I had someone say to me, and these, these are quotes. These are exact quotes. Does your worldview, your truth, justify discrimination against homosexuals or Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or Wiccans or, or non-believers? That was the question. And my answer is emphatically no, absolutely not. That is unless you call a disagreement or someone else's belief system discrimination. If you're going to define it that way, but here's the definition of discrimination. Unfair treatment of a person or group on the basis of prejudice. So the answer is absolutely positively not. No, I don't be I don't behave that way. I have helped Hindus and I have helped and befriended. I have friends in every one of these categories. I have good close friends who are Hindus, okay, who are Muslims, who are Wiccans, witches, warlocks homosexuals. I have people in my life from all walks of life. I don't agree with their choices. I don't agree with everyone's beliefs and their behavior, but I still love them. I still love them. I I will love them till the day I die. I may not agree with them, but I still love them. I show them compassion and mercy and love and respect. They're created in the image of God. They have value because they're created in the image of God, whether I agree with them or not. If I stop loving people I disagree with, I'd be out of a job in a hurry. Okay? I disagree with most of you a lot of the time. I still love you. It's okay to disagree with people. You can still love them. You can still love people that you, can, you say. If people ask me, do you think this is wrong? I'll say, yeah, I, I do. I really think, that's, I think it's wrong because here's what the word of God says. But you know what? I still love you. I'll still walk with you. I'll still be friends with you. How else am I going to lead them into a personal relationship with Christ? How am I going to show that kind of love if I reject them like that? See, I was talking to another friend who told me this, quote, Christians are intolerant people who push their views on others. And and this is where you have to push back. On the other hand, non-believers are open and accepting because there's no framework. It's hard for me to say this without getting choked. Um, 
it, there's no framework in place for their evangelistic activities, in other words, to push their views. There's no, there's, no, there's no avenues for those outside of the church to push their views. Anybody's jaw opening up here? Okay. They said, maybe we don't care. Maybe we concede it's just a bit of a lost and unimportant cause. And I said back to them, how can you say that with a straight face? I mean, how, how can you possibly say that with a straight face? Sam Harris... Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins spend most of their waking hours, okay, pushing their worldview on other people, as do most people who oppose God. They are, I'm going to use the words clearly, they are, they are intolerant and often hateful. And I'm not, this is not emotion speaking. Their, 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 their comments, what they say what these people, they're accusing you of being intolerant, judgmental, and hateful, okay? But their own words, if you said what they said and changed it around, they, you would not be accepted. Listen to, listen to this from Sam Harris. If I could wave a magic wand and get rid of either rape or religion, I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. You take and you, you replace religion with any other word and you try to say that in culture and see what happened to you. But see, it's okay for someone else to say it. The only reason you're being attacked is because Jesus said it. They're going to hate you because they hated me. The reason you're being attacked is you hold to absolutes and you hold to a biblical worldview. But it's okay to say that if I could wave a magic wand and get rid of either rape or religion, I would not hesitate to get rid of religion. I read that and I was like dumbfounded. Nietzsche, and this is their kind of their forefathers, Nietzsche believed that the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 were a damning approach to life is what he said. Just listen to this, okay? He said they emphasize the responsibility of man toward the poor and the weak in society. And you're going, well, yeah, okay. This is what he says, though. According to him, a society driven by such ethics, okay, in effect, are controlled by the losers, Okay? That's not judgmental. That's not intolerant. Not only is it not judgmental, intolerant, don't wonder why the 20th century was the bloodiest century in American history or in in world history. Don't even wonder why. I mean, so what he's saying is the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who are hungry and those who are thirsty and the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those those who are, are, are persecuted, okay, are from his perspective judged to be unworthy examples of what makes up a good society. They're in his, in other words, they're losers. People who behave that way, people who are merciful to the, to the poor and the weak, if you're holding those people up, what are you doing? They should just be killed, first off, now that we have the technology. Don't even let them enter the world, but those who become poor or weak in their lives, they should just be killed off. They should be wiped out. Why would you try to hold them up? He says it's basically, that, that is, a, that is a, um, a poor view of how you should run society. It is, it is an unworthy example of what makes up good society. Richard Dawkins wrote, Only the willingly blind could fail to implicate the divisive force of religion in most, if not all, the violence and the violent enmities in the world today. You are the cause of all the, the violence and the killing that goes on. How many times, how many people have heard that if we just get rid of religion, you get rid of all the violence and, the murder and most of the wars and everything in the world? It's religion that causes most of those things. I hear that all, all the time. And I'm so sick of hearing it because it's so untrue. It is not true. And that quote comes from a man who wants to murder disabled, defenseless children. 
It's okay. It's okay for him to want to do that and say that out loud. Okay, that's just his opinion or his truth or whatever else. But you stand up for the word of God and defend the right of a disabled child to be born or to exist. And somehow, in his worldview, there's something terribly wrong with you. See, the people I talk with say that they never push their views on other people. That's the narrative. Never push our views on anyone. And, I, and again, I say, what? Have, I mean, think about that. And there's no avenue. Have you not heard of the New York Times, the, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, almost all, almost all the, the, the media outlets? You know what I'm saying? blog the blog i don't care if people want to blog i'm not going to stop people from, i don't want to stop people from saying what they want to say in our country but please don't tell me that we're the ones who are pushing our views on everyone else and the, on the rest of the world has no avenue to push their views on the world see many public you think about how many public universities are out there and and how you guys in college have to go through classes sometimes where if you open your mouth and share a different perspective how you're belittled in that class Students are ridiculed just for believing in God. Richard Dawkins wanted to deny access to Oxford University to anyone who held to a creationist worldview. Deny access to school. Is that not the very definition of intolerance? I, you, I disagree with you, so I'm, I'm, I'm denying you access to this school. You cannot be a part of this. You cannot be a part. Where does that stop? If you don't agree with me, I'm denying you access. Is that not the very definition of intolerance? See, here's the thing. They might, may not use the same terminology, but it makes no sense whatsoever in reality to say that, that, that the people who are, who are accusing us of pushing our worldview are not pushing their worldview. Please, please, please don't tell me that they're just tolerant, open-minded, free-thinking, compassionate do-gooders sitting around with guitars on the grass singing all we are saying is give peace a chance. Okay? It's just not true. I, I gave you quotes. Those are exact quotes. But that's, again, that's the narrative. You are portrayed as one thing and someone else is portrayed as just a tolerant, free-thinking, free-spirited, compassionate, loving, whatever, who would never harm a, a fly. Never say anything to hurt anyone else's feelings. You, you, listen, you have to be able to push back, my friends. You, ha- you, you have to push back. That's what I'm saying. You can't, it is not loving to let someone say something that's completely wrong and lead them in the wrong direction without stopping and saying, listen, can we sit down? You said that, I'm, that Christians are this and this. And this. Can we sit down and talk about that? We, I just want to talk about that because you give the impression that one side is this and the other side is this and, and sit down and talk them through it with gentleness. What does Peter say? Do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect, but do it. It is, it is not loving to keep truth to yourself. It is not loving to allow someone to believe something that's just not reality. And what they, they know human nature and they know that the crowd's going to go along. And so they're going to keep intimidating and, giving these, and putting out these lies and putting out these lies and hoping that everyone goes along with it. And sooner or later, as Christians, we just kind of hunker down because no one wants to be in the, you know, on the outside looking in. So you just kind of start going along and it's like the frog in the kettle. Just turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, and the frog is dead. 
You have to stand for what you know to be true because it is not you pushing. My daughter, my, my oldest daughter, Kimberly, was kicked out of a class in high school, okay, in Mason High School, was kicked out of class because she, she asked a question that challenged the teacher's worldview. Teacher was saying something. Kim said, well, can I ask, you know, she started asking a question. Well, what about, what about, what about? And the teacher told her to be quiet. So she just raised her hand and said, well, I just want to, she said, get out. Get out. Get out of the class because I don't want, we don't want you to think. We don't want you to ask questions. I'm going to tell you my worldview, and that's the end of the story. I know some other student, and they weren't even a Christian. This is the funny thing. They were ridiculed and attacked in class because they, they stood up against global warming, for goodness sake. They didn't agree with global warming. Okay? And so they were ridiculed in front of all the other classmates because they didn't believe in global warming. I, I, it, it, I could go on and on and on. I mean, the idea, my friends, the idea that a Christian worldview dominates our culture is just at this point silly. Help me with this. You can hardly pray anywhere anymore outside of a church without someone, uh, you know, bring a lawsuit against you. Can't put up any decorations. Is abortion illegal? I I don't know. Is it illegal? I I don't think so. When's the last time that one, one Supreme Court you know, issue or one judge or whatever else or went the way of a biblical worldview? Everything is skewed the other direction, but the idea is, is continually pushed that you're pushing your views on other people, that you somehow have a dominant control on society, right? And that you're pushing your views on someone else when the reality is it's the, now 50, 60 years ago, 100 years ago. OK, you have an argument that Christianity is a strong, you know, push in culture today. It is a complete opposite. But they're still using the scopes monkey trial kind of attitude to think that Christians are pushing their worldview on people when it's completely untrue. It is the opposite. It's the complete opposite. You have to stand. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, we sang that song, okay? We sing it with such passion. We need to stand with that kind of passion, with that kind of conviction for the truth, for the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That's why we're standing for truth, because our love for him, because of who he is, because of what he means in our lives. We need to stand for truth and not be intimidated. And even if we are intimidated, still stand for truth. Part of the problem, and I'm just going to say I love you to death. Part of the problem is, part of the problem, the reason you're intimidated and the reason you back off is because you're more concerned about what man thinks than what God thinks. What can a man do to you? What can man do to you? Take your life? That's the end of it. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He is the one who came and died for us. He is the one who changes our lives. He is the one that we love, that we, have, we should have conviction and compassion for. That is the reason I'm telling you this this morning. You need to stand, not on your own opinions, but you need to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You need to stand up for Christ. We are his ambassadors, and we need to do it in a loving way. We need to do it with gentleness and respect, for for goodness sake, we need to do it. When people make blanket statements that are untrue, you need to call it out. You don't need to be mean-spirited about it, but you need to say, wait a second, wait a second. Have you actually studied that? Have you actually thought about that? Let me share with you another perspective. You need to point that out. 
Like the statement that all, all wars and, and misery and suffering in the world is caused by religion. That is so untrue. Statistically, that's so untrue. And in, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with that whole subject, that whole idea. That it's really, that's really where the misery, if we just get rid of religion, that'll, that'll solve all of our problems. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. People don't like absolute statements. So in reality, they won't say this, but they don't like Jesus Christ. They don't like him. And because you are an ambassador for Christ, because you stand for Jesus Christ, because you call yourself a Christian, they don't particularly like you. Because you stand for absolutes. God said it. I believe it. That is good enough for me. And that's what we should stand on. Not opinion, not thoughts, not ideas, but on the word of God. Jesus Christ needs to be our foundation in all that we think, in all that we experience, in all that we, that we, that we express in our lives. He needs to be the foundation for all of that. And you need to love people enough to tell them the truth. As we close this morning, I want to focus on Jesus Christ because that's the reason I'm even here this morning talking about this. It's not because I'm all worked up because I don't agree with what they're doing over here or agree with what they're doing over there. I get worked up because I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I look at a world that's falling apart, that's suffering, and doesn't even know why. Relationships are crumbling. Families, families are crumbling. The world is falling apart in so many areas, and they can't even figure out why. And it's because people are not standing on the truth of God's word. We need to stand on the truth of God's word. We need to focus on Jesus Christ. We're going to close out with communion this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, I'm going to read that. After I'm done reading, I'm going to pray. After I'm done praying, you can get up and take the bread and the cup. You don't have to wait for anybody else. And you can partake of the bread and the cup without waiting for anyone else. So I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and then we can go back and we can take the bread and the cup and come sit back down. You can come up and pray here, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. And then I'll close this out in prayer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him into this world. Thank you for the reality that Jesus Christ walked this earth and the reality that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save a lost and hurting world. Thank you for the reality that Jesus Christ rose again to overcome death and overcome sin. Thank you for his body, which was broken for me, that I could have a personal relationship with you, that we could have a personal relationship with you because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for his his blood that was shed for me, that covers over all my sins that allows me to live for you without guilt, without condemnation. Father, we pray that we this morning would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship. And as living sacrifices, God, we pray with all of our hearts that we would stand for truth, that we would stand for truth, that we would stand for you. As the world pushes in, 
that we would stand strong and not be moved, but that we would do it with love and compassion and respect for those that we're talking with. Father, we thank you again for your son. We pray that we would focus our attention on him. As we leave this place, we realize, as we remember what he did, this is why we need to be strong. This is why we need to stand. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the privilege of being together as the body of Christ. Father, we're living in a, a time where things are changing rapidly and we're being squeezed to go along with um, whatever the culture des- decides or deems is, is appropriate or acceptable. And God, I know how hard it is to stand up for you and your truth. But I pray that, that we in this church would never shrink back that we would remain loving, compassionate, caring, concerned with the value of others, respectful, Lord God, of even those we disagree with, that we would keep that kind of attitude, but at the same time stand for truth. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we can just spend together in communion. Pray, dear God, that we would leave this place with a renewed sense of who you are and what you expect from your, your family, your children. God, may you be glorified by how we live our lives. And may that example that we set out in the world be one that leads people into a closer relationship with you. Father, we praise you. And we're grateful to be called your children. We just pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. One, one last thought. On March the 25th at 6.30, we're going to be having, we're calling the Lord's Supper. We're going to come together as the body of Christ, and we're going to share a meal together. And after we share that meal, we're going to share communion together. So there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer if you'd like to sign up to bring some uh, different, uh, different kinds of food. There are specific things you can bring. Um, we'd love you to sign up, be a part of that. It's for everyone, for, for the whole entire family, just to come together and share a meal together and share communion together and just fellowship together. And everyone's invited. So why don't you sign up in the foyer um, after the service? Have a really great week.